Well, here we are, episode number three, and welcome to everybody, all listeners, families of Visions and Tones. Today, I am your host again, but I'm not going alone. You know, I'm with a very good friend of mine, um, very brainy person that we're actually excited to have joining us today. Um, he is all the way from Ghana. He is a professional psychiatrist. I mean, really, this is a great bonus. And at the same time, he's doing his PhD in forensic psychiatry, which he will tell us a little bit about himself. If I would have a proper title for this, I'm pretty sure it'll be very long. Um, something like practical guideline to mental health first aid with Tony Tones of the Visions and Tones. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, Dr. Donay, welcome sir. My pleasure, Tony. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. Right. Um, uh, it's a very uh, informative series that uh, you've embarked on and I would encourage you um, I'm really amazed and uh, proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so um, I would say keep the good work. Thank you. I really appreciate your kind words. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, those are words that I'm actually not taking very lightly. They are always coming from a very wise man. I mean, already a professional psychiatrist. And now he's actually working on his... PhD. I mean, this just shows how committed Dr. Donne is onto this topic on mental health. And Dr. Donne, I was just checking through stats, you know, facts checking with my work before coming to meet up with you. And I see that with a population of about 7.8 billion in the world, actually, Depression is common around 264 million people in the world. And 800,000 of people actually die by suicide. Whereas the people actually affected by depression could be around 222,000 people. Young people between the ages 10 to 29. Mm. I see you checking, so it's fact-checked and checking, you know, <laughs> the, the danger of trying to sound all smart and academic to a real professional person. And, but I mean, it's too serious, and I'm pretty sure these are just educated guesses, taking into account the fact that issues of mental health are not really much spoken about, especially particularly among the African community. Yeah. But just maybe as as a kicking, you know, a kickstart, if you can tell us about your journey into being a psychiatrist, where where did the inspiration come from, and why forensic psychiatry? Well, I I qualified as a psychiatrist in two thousand and nine. Um, specifically, I finished my my last exam was it thirtieth September two thousand and nine, uh, and. On the 1st of October, I got appointed as a specialist in my department. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's how my journey started. That's really great to hear that you've been 
in the field for quite a long time. Yes. You know, you, you've been working for quite a long time. And, and I guess, um, you said something about, you know, stigma or myths being something even very common among other medical practitioners. So I was wondering maybe if we can use that as our kickstarting moment, um, if, if you can maybe just add more of what are those sort of myths that, you know, were, were, were common among medical practitioners and how, how do those myths sort of, how, how similar are they to the ones which we found just within the community? So uh, I realized that, um, and it is quite common among medical practitioners, uh, that it's very difficult to understand how somebody with a severe mental illness would say, I hear voices. Right. Or I see things that other people don't see. Um, and just for explanation, um, as you sit down here, if you're thirsty, you would go look for water to drink or you'd ask, you would ask your host or if you're home mm. or wherever you ask someone to get you water. Um, if you're hungry, same, you do same. So you actually trust your instincts in, in, in your body functions to believe that indeed what you're feeling is test. So if somebody is hearing a voice and to them, they are hearing the voice, but to you, you're not hearing anything. It's quite difficult to understand them when they say they hear a voice. But nobody challenges you when you say you're hungry. Right. All right. Or you say, I'm feeling sleepy. These are functions of the brain. And when the brain gets this disease in, the, in, in specific areas of its function, you would continue to believe the brain when it tells you that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for example, I, 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 as you speak to me now, I, uh, as we're speaking, I can hear your voice. And because I can see you, I believe that right. it is you. I can differentiate between your sound, the voice and that of someone, you know, uh, outside of this room. Mm -hmm. But then when that part of the brain that kind of interprets sounds, generates sounds and, 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 and language and so on, gets diseased, it can, it can produce language that is not there, that hasn't been spoken, all right, okay. by another person. Right. And, and, and I would perceive it, if I'm the one suffering from it, I would perceive it as someone who is... Uh, who is actually talking. And sometimes the voices can be familiar. So I can hear Tony's voice talking to me. So as far as I'm concerned, you are the one talking to me. And no amount of uh, explanation might tell, might convince me that it is not you. So the people who, who get mentally unwell, they actually experience those symptoms. They get distressed by it. Uh, because a lot of the times those symptoms are negative and, and, and derogatory to them and distresses them. But because we stand outside of them, we, we are, we are not experiencing the same thing. We tend to think, and, and like you would find in literature, I said, the person is responding to unseen stimuli. Right. <laughs> because we cannot see it, but they are experiencing it. 
and that is a, a sign that a part of the brain that functions in that in that respect is not is malfunctioning, all right, and producing the usual function when it shouldn't be. There is also the part where, when a person can be mentally unwell, depends on how the the brain malfunctions that it doesn't even produce that function anymore. So you can so there's an enhancement of function, and there's also a, a reduction or the absence of the function. So there's a positive aspect and there's a negative aspect, yeah. and all of that can constitute uh, signs and symptoms of mental illness. Right. Very deep there. And and I, I was just thinking as you're talking about, you know, part of the myths or things that could be happening within yes. so the community. community. Yeah. So it's a kind of a, I said that in light that it's quite difficult mm. even for other medical uh, professionals yeah. to understand that. Um, and then, but after they've gone through some kind of education about it, uh, a lot of them, you know, come to their understanding, which usually in medical schools, uh, and it's a global problem, not only in Africa, mm. where psychiatry teaching has taken a hit where uh, it is not as presented to medical students in the way that makes it understandable. Uh, there's been a global shift in that over the years in recent times, and that has improved greatly. Um, the other myth is uh, that anybody with that mental illness is lumped together as madness, which right. oh, the person has gone crazy. Uh, what that means is that the person is out of touch with reality. So that's a cardinal thing within mental illness, mm. that those who suffer severe forms, severe forms of mental illnesses tend to be out of touch with reality. It's not everyone. So there are the less severe forms uh, of mental illnesses where like anxiety disorders and so on, which the person is not out of touch with reality. It just depends on which part of the brain is impacted mm. by the disease. So that is another myth. The other thing myth is um, that people think children cannot suffer from mental illnesses. Um, when we we believe that, what we are believing is that children are smaller adults. No. Uh, or miniature adults. Mm -hmm. Children are, a, they, every child is a complete human being at a stage in their life and with its own stresses and difficulties that they face. Back in Africa, uh, back home, people will say, what do you, as a child, what do you worry about? Right. You don't pay rent, you don't do anything, exactly. everything is provided you, so what are you worrying about? Yes, the child has his own, has his or her own worries and things that affect them at that at that age. They they also, as parents worry about children, children worry about parents. They, when you're leaving the house, they're worrying. I is my my dad and mom are going to come back safe? Where they're going, um, they're not sure if they're going to be safe or um, if they are not here. How do I survive? They have all kinds of things that are bothering them, and it's, and then they start going to school. Those who get bullied, they they have, you know, 
to deal with other children who might be bullying them or um, a teacher who is quite hostile to them. All of these are things that stresses them. Uh, a subject that they might not be doing too well and uh, and feel ashamed of, of it. Uh, a back home where uh, children are called out when your 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 father, your parents are unable to pay your school fees, and it's as if the child is the reason why the school fees hasn't been paid. Uh, these children are either beaten up um, and sent away, humiliated in front of other 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 children. Uh, and I don't know, it's something that's quite pervasive on the continent. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the rationale behind it because that child is not responsible for paying their, their school true. fees. And yet they go through that hum- humiliation before. Uh, and so all of these are things that can drive a child into having a mental illness. And the fact is that about 70, between 70 and 80% of all mental illnesses that we see in adulthood actually began in childhood. The, uh, the, when you, you traced back, they actually began there. Um, I talked about uh, the people thinking that mental illness is all craziness or madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because people think of mental illnesses or men, as we say, mental illness as an, one entity. No, it's not one entity. Um, it has inherent in its several categorizations of diseases. So we have the severer forms, we have the milder forms. And so on. Yeah. If if you can if you can just expand it for us, especially with other you know common symptoms associated with mental health that we 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 sort of tend to overlook. Um, yeah. So the key thing in in a mental health problem is a change in personality. So. Uh, when the person's behavior, the way they talk, the way they behave, that they've been known for, right. that has been consistent. That you know, I have known, you've known me, uh, and then you've known me to be a reserved, introverted person um, over spanning several years. But the last couple of days or two weeks, you realize that I am very chatty, uh, very impulsive. I go shopping a lot when I used not to do that. I've been giving out things to people that it's quite strange. Mm. Um, I might rationalize it as being generous, uh, but then you realize, no, this is beyond um, what would be considered as generosity. Right. Uh, yeah. Or you find me isolative now. You call me, I don't pick my my my. You don't pick your calls. Uh, you might think I'm ignoring you, get upset or something, but you realize that I'm in bed most of the time. Um, we attend lectures together, but you don't find me in class lately. Um, uh, we go to the beach, but nowadays I don't even join the group to do anything. I mean, things like that should mm. prompt you that the person might have uh, be suffering some mental illness symptoms. And... Um, a feather probe might more more likely than not uh, reveal that a person is having some challenges. Yeah. So mental illnesses are actually like any other diseases that we have. Like I talked about malaria, I talked about pneumonia, like hypertension, diabetes, and so on. Um, it's the same with mental health problems. Um, just to dive a little boy more into the myths is especially from 
the African perspective that mental illness is caused the spiritual case. Um, there is no correlation with that uh, directly as a cause. Mental illnesses are brain diseases. But of course, um, your socialization might impact the way mental illness presents itself, not a cause. Um, So if the person is hearing um, voices and you find in the, on the African continent, somebody will say they hear the voice of God or they, they had uh, witches, they've seen witches and so on. Whereas someone in Australia, an Australian born, inculturated in the Australian system, uh, citizen and so on and so forth, would be talking about um, uh, microchips and radiations and so on. And right. Back home, I realized that I've seen... A, a large variety of people with mental health problems from various backgrounds and, and uh, persons of IT backgrounds tend to talk about um, microchips in the, in the stomach and uh, mm-hmm. surveillance, cam- uh, surveillance cameras and, yeah. you know, electronic stuff. Uh, I've found that people who worked in radio and uh, telecom We'll be talking about um, radiations from the towers um, and uh, picking up signals here and there, you know. Um, whereas the vast majority will be talking about hearing the, the, the demons talking to them or hear the voice of God and so uh, on and so forth. Yeah. Mm. So I, I, I wonder though, I, I remember having a chat with a friend from Australia and he, he's been to a number of countries in Africa, and he spoke about, you know, the impact of religion in one's life. And he ended up even giving an example about the context of Australia, where he said many things that are happening to young people, especially if someone behaves in a sort of unusual way, they tend to link it with mental health issue else in reality it could be an issue of you know maybe spirits being mm. possessed and whatnot and and i wonder how how likely or how does this come out in in your field where you discover that we may have thought this is probably issue of mental health in its entirety but you find that it's just the person is possessed through prayers can be healed or the person is in substance abuse and whatnot if, if you can Take us through those. Well, that's quite interesting. This thing has come. There is a whole area of spirituality and mental health um, to take us the next all day, all day to talk about it. But mm. um, just to let you know that a disease leads to um, a disturbance in function. Okay. So from that point of view, when the person has a mental illness, it impairs them. Just like when you have malaria, it mm. impairs you. When you have diabetes, it impacts your life negatively, um, leads to certain complications and so on. The same thing happens when you have a mental illness. Once we can identify that, mm. um, that doesn't make it a spiritual kind of thing. Okay. All right. Um, 
as far as spirituality is concerned, and for those who um, believe in the Judeo-Christian uh, religion or even in Islam, um, there is, well, we yet to find out anywhere within those the scriptures that govern uh, these religions where someone has been um, possessed by the spirit and has ended up being impaired mm-hmm. or or not being useful uh, to their community and to themselves uh, or lead to something bad um, or death to themselves. Whereas people with mental illnesses can die indirectly through suicide or through misadventure that could also uh, lead them to death. Mm. So somebody who has a, a manic episode and believes that they own the roads and uh, they can do anything um, and think that they can um, take a sharp curve at 140 kilometers per hour when you're supposed to take negotiate that curve uh, maybe at 10 kilometers or 20 kilometers per hour. Mm. And um, I had a patient like that who uh, in the 20, uh, 10, uh, 15 kilometer per hour uh, curve um, was doing 140 and sure. lost control of the vehicle, Was went straight and smashed into a big tree uh, just by dint of grace that um, he survived it. Mm. Um, so he could have died from that misadventure. Um, I've had people who jumped from a few stories up because they believed that they could fly. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. you know, out of misadventure, um, others committed suicide and intended to die because they were quite distressed, like people with um, severe depression. And then some people also with some severe debilitating symptoms of anxiety can become suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and eventually take off their, take their lives. Um, so we'd also have people who've gone through a lot of childhood trauma that disrupted the development of their personality and, um, the distress of it, the emotional pain they suffer. Um, they tend to self-harm to get some relief. Uh, mm-hmm. and then eventually those can lead to a misadventure at one time the self-harming could go beyond just self-harming and then they end up dying or they become suicidal as part of the uh, emotional dysregulation and disturbance. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> you so can you go were, on. Yeah. yeah. Um, just um, so we were trying to explain... Spirituality. Spirituality, yeah. yes. So... Um, once there is an impairment in function, either socially or occupation-wise, uh, then it is not a spiritual, in my view. It's not mm-hmm. a spiritual thing. It's something that uh, is an illness. And here we, we're dealing with brain disorders. Mm-hmm. These are things that affect the brain. Um, in Africa, one of the things that lead to uh, brain that affects the brain and therefore with a consequence of mental health issues as poor obstetric outcomes. So child and maternal health is key in resolving 70 or more percent of, 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 of um, the reasons why people would develop mental health problems. For example, one is in, in prolonged labor where 
uh, the child, the unborn child, could suffer some kind of uh, diminished oxygen supply. Mm-hmm. We call that hypoxic brain injuries uh, that come out from there. Um, other complications of uh, uh, pregnancies uh, that could lead to that and birth traumas um, and so on right. uh, uh, can affect the brain. Um, infections at the time of uh, delivery, uh, which is quite common in in parts of Africa and in fact in the developing world, um, does impact the the, the uh, developing brain. Mm. Um, we also have traumatic experiences like abuses, um, and even witnessing not being the the main victim of the abuse, there's a witness in it, um, can impact the, the development of the brain and eventually uh, cause some form of mental health problems um, for people uh, later in life. So we found out that obstetric complications, child and maternal health are key. If we're able to fix that uh, to a large extent, we'll be able to reduce the, the, the number of people who suffer mental health pro- sorry, problems in the later in life. Great one. I, I really like that. And the fact that you're explaining that men, mental health is actually very broad. It's not like we're talking about, you know, a simple thing like maybe flu alone. Yeah. You could have many things. I, I'm, I'm wondering if you can just take us through the, maybe very briefly, if, if we are able to, the sort of practical ways on how we can sort of confront, especially if we, or maybe you can start from how, I, I know you alluded earlier on, on how sometimes we see the behavioral changes of people as sort of being something that can suggest to us that this person is, you know, um, changing in terms of behavior and whatnot. But what what sort of practical issues or practical steps can you give to our listeners on how to confront and, and, you know, here I'm talking about being genuine and also being sensitive than making jokes. You know, people yes. have said so many things. Yes, like, one of yeah. the things that make people who suffer any form of mental illness um, shy away uh, from seeking help is that immediately they are labeled uh, by friends and family um, that either they are weak or they are lazy. Um, and therefore they, they shy away from um, getting help. Uh, I, I, I have this philosophy. If you show empathy and concern to somebody with a fever who is vomiting or running diarrhea or uh, having a headache and not able to get out of bed, we should use the same the same we should use the same approach for people whose personalities have changed show concern show um, empathy uh, avail yourself to want to help help a lot of people with mental health problems might not even recognize that they are ill that's the that's the tragedy of mental illness that the people suffering it a lot of them with the severe forms don't even recognize that they themselves have it. So um, as much as you try to tell them that, look, I 
think you need help. They tell you, no, I think you need help, not me. Um, I'm, I'm perfectly all right. Um, now the, uh, many countries have mental health laws or, or certain uh, regulations that allow you to raise an alarm on behalf of the, of the person. So if you found me behaving quite unusually, uh, out of, out of character, as we say it mostly Uh on the street, we say the person's behavior is out of character. You can call up the emergency services and say, look, I have gotten here. I've known him for a while. Um, in the last couple of days, I'm concerned about his mental state. I'm mm-hmm. concerned about his behavior. I don't know what is happening, but he needs help, but he's not ready to seek any help. Can you step in and, 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 and do something for him? Mm-hmm. The emergency services will respond in a place like, uh, Australia. Um, they'll respond and then, you know, then, they needed assessment and other things, recommendations will come come through and a person is more likely to be helped than not. Uh, practical challenges on the continent of Africa. Many countries don't have, uh, on the African continent, about 60-70% of countries don't have a mental health law operating. Uh, but even with those that have, very few of them have it implemented in a way yeah. that is reasonable. Uh, but even there, um, you still have support of family. We have the benefit of uh, family and friends support. So if you have a person who is denying that they have a mental health problem, don't just say it is their problem because eventually to spiral out. Right. Right. Yeah. And it might lead to damage in their reputation. They might end up with financial consequences, risk, um, and other behavioral things that they might regret or cause pain to others or harm to others and themselves. Mm. Um, uh, and so you need to act. You don't have to just be bystanders. So we talk to family, talk to friends, come together and Insist sometimes, and many many occasions in my in my experience, that that person listens to someone, at least one person, yeah. who comes and and says, "Look, you don't believe that uh, something is wrong with you, but the rest of us think that there's something. Can we get some help for you? All right, and by and large, it does work. Um, and where it doesn't, then the authorities need to come in and help. And I hope that many places on the continent will have that service. For example, in Ghana, you could involve the police if it is getting out of hand right. to get that person to to a designated facility for help under the emergency certificate, they call it. Okay. Um, and it is um, uh, legal to do that. And then the mental health professionals can go through the other legal pathways to make sure that uh, they get the needed help for the person. If if you can touch, I mean, this is, this is amazing, very informative. And I'm, I'm just thinking in terms of now ways to help the people um, who might sort of be having different challenges mental health wise whether 
could is this even something which you should have been speaking should be speaking about? I'm not really sure, but you you can tell me in terms of the way they get the help, the the therapeutic aspect of it. Is is everyone really in need of yes, therapy, so, or there's there's different ways so in which they there can get are help? Some um, that um, before I touch on that. Uh, something just came to mind and I think is very important that I mention. Uh, people think that people with mental health problems are violent. Mm. That is a, f- a myth. It's false. Um, majority of people who suffer from mental health problems are actually vulnerable to being victims of violence. And they are no more violent than any usual person on the street. Uh, very small between three of under five percent of persons with severe forms of mental health problems mm. um, may be violent depending on um, the the way the symptoms present their thoughts are deranged or disturbed in a way that they might believe that uh, you if I I am in their position and I'm hearing a voice that is your voice that is threatening me, and I, I I would come looking for you uh, to to ensure that I secure my uh, my safety. Um, so those people that we call them paranoid delusions um, might be violent. They might cause us and, and other things. Um, but the vast majority of them actually are victims of violence. Uh, in the U.S., for example, we uh, a lot of times that there is a gun violence, uh, people jump to mental health as a <laughs> an escape route. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. but the evidence shows that only about four percent of all gun violence is attributable to someone with a severe form of mental health mental illness, and over ninety five percent of people who commit gun gun violence uh, who who um, gun violent acts um, are not mentally unwell. So people should not um, group people, just lump people with mental health problems as mm. uh, violent. Mm. So, And therefore that comes to therapy. Yes. So depending, um, uh, sometimes there, there are actually two modes of Treatment. We have this psychotherapeutic or the non-pharmacologic or what they call the non-medication part, which is a talk therapy, okay. uh, which is have been found to be nearly or equally effective as using medications. So we have the medications aspect and then we have the non-medication aspect. Uh, depending on the severity and the type of uh, mental illness, we might use one or the other or a combination. And there is overwhelming evidence that the combination of the two therapies does give the best outcome with all the psychosocial interventions that one can get. To Because like I told you, the brain is what makes us human. Mm-hmm. What, and therefore... I, as humans, we are social beings. When the and what parts of the brain get they get ill, our social interactiveness also gets impaired, gets affected. So, as part of treatment, most people, or not, I wouldn't say many people 
with mental health challenges would need psychosocial interventions that help them to reintegrate into society, to get back into into job or be able to live meaningfully in the community and contribute mm-hmm. um, meaningfully to their community. So it's um, it might be a combination or one or the other, depending. I wonder whether sometimes people are scared to come out because the the sort of stigma that might be there might appear as sort of a reverse stigma. Yes. So it do interest you that when I one other thing I didn't mention, when I made a decision to go into psychiatry, um nearly everyone close to me said no. You shouldn't. We we want you to be a proper doctor, not a doctor of mad people. Mm. You know, and people. So not only the patients get stigmatized, even those of us working in there get stigmatized. The patients, their families, their friends, anyone close to them get stigmatized because of their illness. Uh, but that is that is a shame uh, because um, it is. Probably uh, one of the things is people must know that anybody can be mentally ill mm. at any point in time. Mm. Uh, and it is an illness. It is no fault of yours and you shouldn't be ashamed of it. If In terms of our education uh, sector or maybe if you were to think education, the, the the role of education and indigenous healing systems, particularly let's say in Africa, um, how would you see those playing yeah. an important role into into the healing of a human being? And I'm asking this question because um, many people are most likely to associate this thing of mental health and talking to a psychologist with Western ways of healing. And they are most likely to sort of want to use the church or wanting to use, um, that's very interesting. Um, that's quite very interesting. I contributed to a chapter on psychotherapy in indigenous context. Mm. And, there's something about the indigenous context of treating mental health problems. We realize that even though not well documented, a lot of the approaches are similar to psychotherapy that we see in the Western world. So in in Ghana, for example, the mental health law recognizes those um, uh, those healing um, therapies, uh, which are local in context and have sought to integrate them into mainstream treatment. So it's not everything that is bad because we're looking at orthodox Western medicine as the best and our own traditional medicine not good. That is wrong. Um, a lot of the, the, the way, the ways that, you know, traditional healers go about treating mental health problems actually fall under the non-pharmacological therapy strategies. Mm. Uh, And we have uh, been able to identify similarities uh, in those um, 
uh, format that they use. And if we can, through studying them, bring mm-hmm. out an, uh, a model, we will be able to uh, help a lot more people than we are. Do, do you think there is a field that people pursue or people do not want to focus on indigenous healing simply because th- some of them are thinking of maybe leaving the country or it, it's also still, still because yeah i think that because is it's shrouded in a lot of secrecy is shrouded in a lot of myth and spiritualized i mm. think we have to demystify it and the academics in this area need to do a lot more research uh bring on models that um uh, are equivalent in nature to what the Western um, medicine has been able to bring out. And we do have the synergies and mm. we'll be able to, um, uh, you know, identify those points and train the the traditional healers in a, in a more holistic way, inclusive way uh, in treating mental health problems. So, so if, if you have maybe any, Example that maybe even comes out in your chapter. One of the ways that practical ways that you you would see has been performed in an indigenous African way that looks similar to sort of the Western way of healing. Is there is there any? It is the incorporation of spiritual understanding to mm. the uh, the pathology of mental illness, um, which we recognize as something quite very difficult to. Um, get it out of the mindset of Africans. So we need to work around that um, and let that also affect the way the, the the symptoms present. If you do not address that for an African, you would not get to the core of healing them or treating them. So you need to address that in therapy. Right. Yeah. So that uh, 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 so for example uh, back in Ghana uh, people have what they call, uh, uh, this is not a doctor, a hospital illness. Okay. Like the symptoms they are experiencing, which are usually mental health problems, they'll tell you it is not a hospital sickness. As in, this cannot be treated by, by doctors. But then they'll go to their pastor or to go to their spiritual healer. So the person is unable to sleep at night. They're having... Um, some weird dreams that is waking them up. They're hearing voices uh, and they can attribute it to a grandmother somewhere. And it's usually an old female uh, who, who is branded a witch. Um, and then they go talk to their, their pastor or their spiritual healer or the, the fetish and say, this is what I've been um experiencing the other bit it's um bed wetting um and some would uh, come with stories like they had a dream and somebody was having sex with them and then they woke up and this is what happened you know where whereas here would call it a you know endoresis or bed wetting and so on they have woven around it a spiritual interpretation of what they're experiencing and then they would say those things are not for the hospital to go to uh, their spiritual healer. Now, if we don't educate the, the healers and draw them closer to us, we will not be able to help these people as much as they need the help, right? Because they have in their minds 
separated that aspect of their health as not belonging to orthodox medicine or not something that orthodox medicine or western westernized medicine can heal so we need to be able to get to that point at the same time we need to be able to train um for example, the person who is um, not sleeping well, having weird dreams, they might be quite anxious out of, for some, whatever reason, that uh, they develop an anxiety disorder, having panic attacks at night and so on. We do have some of our herbs that actually have anxiolytics. Mm-hmm. And you'd have these uh, spiritual healers give you these potions that you drink and it calms you down. All right? They do have anxiety relieving components um i'm happy to say that in parts of africa um you know research is identifying those components in these herbs and so on to purify them and 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 make it less toxic to the body and you know so we we can do that and help them to be more efficacious in the way they uh, they administer these things to um, to the clients that come to them. You know, there's a, a a number of stuff that you say that I find very interesting. Um, first is the one that people keep thinking there's certain elements that are that can only be healed traditionally, and certain elements that can be healed yes. through the Western ways. And and that is actually something that came out within my master's thesis. Because within right. my master's thesis, I looked I looked at um, whether how likely are young people to use services from traditional healers. And these were actually part of the things that part of the arguments that were actually raising. You know, the fact that there is still this sort of divide within the world, and what I liked also is the fact that some of the participants spoke about how, so, so the context that I was actually looking at, how the people in the Western medical field was, was starting to work hand in hand mm-hmm. with the traditional healers simply yes. because they knew that people do not want to go to the Western ways, but they want to use the African ways. And, and in, with what you're saying, I'm just trying to see the importance of, and I know that many people have, are very critical of the phrase decoloniality, uh, even within the health system, because people mm. have actually just viewed decoloniality as if it's an attack to anything Western thought. But I mean, if you understand decoloniality from the perspective of, of accepting plurality of knowledges, yes. it becomes very more important because you're not sort of presenting the world as this monolithic thing that uses only a certain or a single way of practice. And, yes. and, and, and I'm just thinking how, how more would you say it is important for Africans to even think deeply about those ways of healing in a sense that as much as it's Africa, should we really claim that we were sort of going to the same source or are we using the same source even in terms of healing um, or we're using the same sort of pre-colonization if we have to to rethink the thought that, you know, it seems like we, we're leaning more towards the westernized ways of, think, of thinking. I think How plural is this African knowledge in the healing? So I think that's a very important point that people tend to have a dichotomy that um, 
if either you're for or against. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have to be reminded that even the Western ways of doing things were borrowed from places like India, China, and other indigenous cultures around the world. Um, it is also very important that Africans know that uh, before uh, the colonial masters came, things like caesarean sessions were being com- conducted in Africa. You know, there's history to that. When you go into the um, medical history, you'd find all of that. Before Europe were performing caesarean sessions, um, Africans were doing it uh, and, could, and, and used forms of anesthesia to be able to deliver uh, difficult um, pregnancies. Anyway, uh, I think that it is not a matter of being for or against. We need to embrace what works well for us. And that is why I am for this integrated mode of doing things. Look at what is good and what are the synergies with our traditional ways of doing it and look at what the Western um, medical practices also offer us. And then we can have a, a more collaborative and integrated model that works for, for us. And I think that uh, in, in the space of mental health, um, and especially in Ghana, we have in the new mental health law that recognizes that uh, synergy. Interesting. I really love this. Um, obviously, we can sit and go on and on and on and on yeah. with this topic. And I'm taking it that this is our first time. Probably we're going to meet you again. So we, we, we didn't even get to move towards suicide because the, the, I think to get on the thick of the mental, just the understanding of mental health itself was like more important, which you've actually outlined it um, yeah. for us um, greatly. So if you were to maybe sum up for us, uh, Dr. Gordon, obviously we can pick up some other time from everything that we have talked about, because I like the fact that you, you, you actually spoke to me who may not be experiencing any mental health challenges. And at the same time, you spoke to me who might be actually experiencing it. So I don't know whether that was yes, sort of clear exactly. for our listeners, but you actually try, try to round I, it out. I, I hope that our listeners got that yeah, <laughs> drift right. because um, I had to understand it that way myself right? to be able to appreciate the field and to move away from the mass myths uh, the mass understanding, which was faulty, to a more informed understanding of what mental health and mental illnesses have aware or are. So I would, in wrapping up, say uh, mental health problems are brain diseases. They are, they are, they have, they are consequences of what affects our brain, and it can come from your biology come as a result of the the genes you've inherited. It can come from your environment, um, i.e. trauma that you've suffered growing up, um, you know, road traffic accidents, malnutrition Mm -hmm. in childhood and and later in life, um, brain infections that leave you uh, incapacitated in one way or the other, um, like I indicated earlier, uh, 
poor obstetric outcomes during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, or pregnancy outcomes as well, bad pregnancy outcomes, all of these contribute in a complex way to people developing mental health problems later on in life. And when people, you realize that um, people have developed the mental symptoms of mental illness, they need empathy, just like you would show someone with any physical health problems. You need to show the same amount of concern uh, sometimes I know that it can be challenging, especially when the person does not recognize that they are ill mm-hmm. or that they have a problem. And that is where you step up, uh, involve other significant others, involve the system. Um, if you are in a system where uh, there is some semblance of um, a system that works, you call the emergency services, mm-hmm. that person will get, because, will get help because without it, something negative might happen either to themselves or to others or to uh, whatever place that they are working uh, uh, and that that or to the, the community at large. So mental illness is probably one of the main uh, disorders of human suffering that it does not just impact the person who is suffering it, but impacts the person and the people around them, the community as a whole. So it is a, a much serious problem than we think it. And we all have to look at it that way. So if we are able to get help for one person with mental health problems. We are actually saving the, not only the individual, but the entire community from a lot of negative outcomes. We also look at people who suffer from mental health problems um, at we have, if one person is suffering from a mental health problem, we have one less person who is contributing to the economy. So we will take on the burden of that person uh, as a as a community. So we should look at it in a broader sense. Yeah. Interesting. Thank I love you. how you actually left the economic aspect towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. Uh, Visions and Tones family. Uh, we've had from the very interesting and well-educated Dr. Gordon Donner, who is actually a psychiatrist by profession. And he is also doing his PhD in forensic psychiatry, which You've heard from him, and I'm hoping that we're going to hear again from Dr. Donay in the future, since we've actually just covered part of um, mental health. Basically, the main theme on mental health, but we didn't sort of get deeper into different compartments of it or different symptoms or what one might want to call them. So thank you for joining us, and Dr. Donay. Thank you so much for your great insights. My pleasure. I really, really And I wish you well on this series. Uh, I've enjoyed it and I hope our listeners would enjoy it. I'm happy to help in any way to make this uh, a very rich program. Thank you. You've had it. We already have a permanent family member. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time, family. We're signing out. Cheers. (laughs) 